Hi, Dave. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking with me today. My pleasure, Jake. Thanks for inviting me. <clears throat> so I, I became aware of your work through your book, How to Be an Adult in Relationships, which is what we'll be talking about today. Um, just out of curiosity, I've, I, I like that title. What, what, what led you to, to call it that? Well, the first book I ever wrote was called How to Be an Adult, which is on, um, shall we say, the general topic of uh, maturing. Yeah. And then when I wrote this book, uh, I thought, well, this is the same topic, but just on relationships. So that's where I got the title. So what what led you to... Um, to, to going into relationships and writing about that? Um, combination of my own experience in relationships and the clients that I've had. I've been a therapist for over 50 years now. So I've had about 5,000 clients. Wow. So I learned a lot about relationships yeah. since that's nine out of 10 were on the, that topic. Yeah. So um, I just kept uh, working on how to put together some ideas that might help people who are in a relationship or on their way in. Yeah. Or on their way out. Um, and um, kind of record what I've learned. Cool. So the, the book sold like, now it's sold like over a quarter of a million copies. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's on very well. It's out there. Yeah. So the, the book is built on top of a foundation of what you call the five A's um, to lay the, the groundwork for this conversation. Could we go through uh, each of the five A's and how did you find that, that those are the most essential pillars for love and relationships? Is that largely things that, that you pulled from research or from work with your own clients? Is that a combination of both? How, how, how did you um, come to come to um, I would say it's from clients and my own experience. And the way I came to what's called the five A's, it's simply five words that start with the letter A. And um, I asked myself, what are the central needs that people come into the world with, like you as baby, toddler, child, with your parents, <coughs> with your parents. And I thought to myself, well, the first thing you would need is continual attention, twenty-four-seven. At first, do you need to be fed? Do you need to be changed? Do you need to be held? And I made that the first need that I could imagine as universal. Then uh, in order for the brain to develop, we need to be held, touched, petted. And so that's affection shown in a physical way. And then when we started to um, um, show that we had certain personality characteristics. They, our parents needed to accept us 
as we were emerging as mm. who we are, rather than trying to make us into what they wanted us to be. Yeah. So that would be acceptance. And they also had to value us as unique. That's appreciation. And then finally, when it was time for us to crawl across the room instead of be carried across, then they had to allow our emerging independence. So it's attention, affection, acceptance, appreciation, and allowing. And those are the five, those are five of the central needs we came into the world with. Mm all of which will be um, dependent upon the responses of our parents or caretakers. Yeah. Then I thought to myself, but these are the same five needs that we would have in any adult relationship. We want a partner who gives us these five and to whom we would give these five. And that was a wonderful realization that nature has it set up that you don't have two different sets of needs. You have the same needs all through life. And when two adults give these five A's to one another, that's the equivalent of intimacy. Mm. And now the affection will include sex, which it did not before this time. Yeah. So uh, other than that, of uh, the five are about the same. And uh, that's how I came up with the five A's. So we all, I think, it seems like have our own unique balance of how much of each A we uh, prefer, probably like in, like what ratios we like. And, and then throughout our childhood, we'll have our, our own balance of how they're fulfilled, whether or not some are satisfied, whether or not some are underfulfilled, whether some are overfulfilled, because you talk about moderation being important, um, which I thought what was an important part of the book, because you don't want to just like flood somebody too much with any given aspect. How does the way that that those A's are fulfilled throughout our lives and our childhoods, how, how, how does that influence um, what what we're looking for out of partners in the future how we try to fulfill those needs like is there a is there an aspect of overcompensation in either direction if we're if we find some that are underfulfilled and then maybe we give too much to the partner and then if we find some that were overfulfilled in childhood that maybe we don't give enough like how, how does that the balance of those that we get in childhood how does that influence the way that we give and receive them as adults in relationships well, that's a very good question, Jake. <clears throat> so let's look at it this way. <clears throat> when you received good enough parenting, which means that you were given the five A's consistently, not necessarily perfectly, uh, but enough of the time so that you did feel fulfilled, that fulfillment is not just fulfillment. It's also endowing you with the capacity to be fulfilled ever after yeah. with a moderate dose of these five 
So at the beginning of life, we need the total 100% dose of attention. No question about it. Um, and then as we grow up, we need less attention. For instance, you wouldn't need as much attention in high school as you did in first grade yeah. from your parents. <clears throat> However, they are adjusting the five A's to your various ages and changes when everything is ideal. So you receive the capacity to be satisfied with a reasonable dose of attention, acceptance, appreciation, and so forth from another adult. If your original needs were fulfilled in a good enough way, if they were not fulfilled, which is, you know, more likely, or if one or more were not fulfilled, then we didn't receive the capacity to be satisfied with a reasonable dose. Mm. We're craving more and more, yeah, just what in Buddhism uh, we are uh, taught um, makes it harder for us to be enlightened because we're continually oh, grasping for something that we can't get enough of. Yeah. And uh, in a way, you can tell what happened in childhood by what you most crave now. If you crave attention in an inordinate way, it must be that that was missing originally. Whereas if you don't crave um, so much physical cuddling attention, uh, affection, maybe that was fulfilled entirely. So that's the connection between the childhood and the adult experience of these five essential needs. Mm -hmm. When they were fulfilled in a good enough way, yeah. we will be capable of having a relationship in which it's okay with us that the other person doesn't um, fulfill every need 24 seven. Yeah. It just comes through in a good enough way. If they were not fulfilled, we will be continually begging, demanding, expecting more, yeah. more and more. And uh, a healthy adult partner will not like to be with us. Right. Because we're too needy. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's how I see it. Yeah, so if if there if, if one of the five A's isn't fulfilled, that would lead us to a stronger craving for it in the future. On on the other side of that, if if we're flooded too much with one of them, would that lead to an aversion of that of, of of one yes, of those if you had too much you need. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I'm glad you point that out because sometimes you have too much of something. Yeah. For instance, let's say you had um, <clears throat> too much uh, holding, cuddling, squeezing. They were constantly 
your mommy and your aunts and your grandma, you know, they're constantly hugging you, squeezing you, kind of almost suffocating you. Yeah. Later in life, you might uh, kind of scrunch up, turn away when, when a partner wants to do a lot of cuddling because, you know, your body has learned that it doesn't feel safe hmm. to be held. So you would have to work on yourself and the book shows you how to do this work yeah. so that it becomes okay with you um, to have that experience of the cuddling and holding. Or another way of saying it is, if it felt unsafe originally, it's going to have to be made safe in the future. Yeah. Oh, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that makes so sense. So if somebody just threw you in the pool when you didn't know how to swim, then you f you're mouth full of water and you, you, you feel like you're drowning. Yeah. Unsafe. But, but later, a few years later, when you go to your swimming lessons, they will teach you that it is safe to be in the water and they will show you how to navigate yourself so that you can actually swim and float and so forth. But you are going to have to learn that. You're going to have to let go of that um, sense that I'll be unsafe if I'm in the water. Yeah. And so you can learn to do this psychologically regarding the five days, either in therapy or um, working on yourself like in this, you know, self-help style. Mm -hmm. And uh, does this make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think swimming lessons is a good example too, because at least when I, when I had swimming lessons, like initially they'll, like they kind of just hang out to dry a little bit and just like let you know that like you're going to be okay in the water. And like the first there couple of times you, you freak out a little bit, but then soon enough, you're like, you get the hang of it. So it, it makes sense like that, that general theme goes across yeah. with with our minds too. I, I I thought it was interesting the and part of what drew me to the book was um the your emphasis on mindfulness and you, you mentioned Buddhism a little earlier and uh including mindfulness and eastern spiritual tools to complement western psychological tools so we can kind of balance both ends. Why is that why is that balance so important and how do they complement each other and why is mindfulness so essential to uh, properly giving and receiving the five A's and, and using those tools correctly? Okay, so let's start with a simple definition of mindfulness as I understand it. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's a meditative technique, but you mm -hmm. could also apply it to any time of the day to make yourself um, aware that you're in the here and now rather than being distracted by regrets from the past or cravings for the future mm -hmm. and to be present in a way that is non-judgmental and non-controlling, unafraid, impartial. Um, that would be a mindful kind of presence. I'm also saying in the book that a mindful presence in a relationship 
automatically happens when you're showing these five A's. Okay. Because you're accepting someone as he or she is without judgment. You're allowing someone to live in accord with his or her own deepest needs and wishes without trying to control the other mm. and so forth. Yeah. So um, bringing mind the mindful style into the way you love and the way you are together um, makes a big contribution to having a healthy functional relationship. Yeah. So that's why I combine that with, you know, psychological ways of becoming healthier. Yeah. For, for somebody who wants to start um, a, a kind of a practice to help them be more mindful you you mentioned um, early in the practices seated meditation. Is 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 that what you would have somebody start with to try and I guess get a little bit into that aware state more? Yeah, if you can just start at like five ten minutes a day, just sitting quietly, and thoughts will come into your mind, and you just let them go through. Yeah, but you don't grab onto them and start. Uh, you don't um, you don't um, get on a train of thought. Right. You just let the train pass through. Yeah. And the more you can practice doing that, the more you learn how to be in the present. And then secondly, um, instead of blaming, judging, defining, being scared by thoughts, being so excited by thoughts that you want to um, get up and do something else, mm -hmm. when you can just have the discipline just to sit for that five or ten minutes uh, you start to learn how to be mindful yeah do, do you have any any <clears throat> tools or <clears throat> mnemonics or anything like <clears throat> that that help you bring that kind of awareness that you'll get from something like a seated meditation throughout your day because I, I know with me for a while when I first started meditating, it was, it was very easy to just like timer goes off, you get up and then almost immediately like get caught up in the momentum of the day again. And you kind of lose that, that state. Do you have um, any ways that, that you like to uh, help remind yourself to keep that kind of awareness as you're going about your day? Uh, just the word mindfulness itself, like hmm. how can I engage in a mindful pause P-A-U-S-E, um, at certain moments when I feel upset or anxious, then let me just pause and just recognize that I am not my feelings and that my feelings are passing through me and that I don't have to get caught up in them. So, um, it just happens automatically when you're doing the meditation on a daily basis, which yeah. you are doing. And you, you just start to um, think in this way. Yeah. Yeah. So just over time, it just kind of develops by habit as you get more accustomed to a consistent practice. I, I liked that um, you had a more balanced perspective on the ego that I sometimes, that, that I sometimes hear, sometimes you'll hear about, um, you know, maybe 
emphasizing the ego a little bit too much. On the other hand, you'll have people who want to just kind of abolish it completely. You you talk about the importance of keeping and building on top of a healthy ego and while figuring out how to let go of some of the unhealthier parts. Do you think that we're often too extreme in our treatment of the ego on, on either side of the continuum? And how do we tell apart the healthier aspects that we can keep in and build on top of versus the unhealthier aspects that it's better to get rid of. Okay. <clears throat> well, first of all, I have a separate book on this topic um, about the healthy ego and the unhealthy ego. It's called, You Are Not What You Think. Mm. And basically the healthy ego is the mindset that gets you to form reasonable goals and do what it takes to fulfill them. And in the course of the day, to act in ways that are reasonable and relatable to other people. So that would be the healthy ego right here in the center. Mm. Then we have the Goldilocks style. We have the just right. That's the just right ego that I just described. It's the one that makes you effective in the world to fulfill your goals, both personally and in relations to others. But sometimes it overdoes it and sometimes it underdoes it too much, too little. Too much ego, also called inflated ego, would be the narcissistic style. Everything revolves around me. Nobody else matters but me. Uh, I should be in control of everything. I'm entitled to special treatment. Uh, that's the inflated ego, which nobody is going to love. Somebody will be with you and relate to you, but won't like that part of you. Yeah. And then we have the deflated ego. Oh, I'm nobody. I'm no good. I don't have anything to offer. You know, the low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And then right in the center is the healthy one that does not try to control others, but cooperates with others. Yeah. <clears throat> that does not put oneself down, but also does not overdo it in how you see yourself. Just accept yourself um, as you are. Yeah. For instance, let's say you're on a baseball team. You instantly know, you look around the other guys, you instantly know that guy has more skill than me. That guy has less skill. I'm not going to make fun of the one with the less skill. I'm going to admire the one with the more skill and imitate him. Yeah. But I'm essentially going to accept where I am uh, and let that be okay as I try to increase my skills. Yeah. So that's what you sound like when you have a healthy ego. Yeah. Yeah. So do, do you think those, it, it sounds like those, those principles that we, we've covered up to this point, like that kind of builds a foundation that it seems like is good to have in place 
like before going to out and looking for a new relationship once you get to that that point and you feel like like you're ready you have the time you have the emotional energy you're you're in the right place to go about searching for something like that what, what are some of the things that we might be able to look for in a person that would make them well suited for us and would be a good fit or are there are there rules of thumb for that are there principles that it's somebody who is not overdoing it in what is being asked of you. It's somebody who um, shows you the five A's, pays attention when you talk rather than just letting you talk and then jump in with, you know, their point of view. Yeah. Um, accepts you just as you are rather than try to make you over values you, that's the appreciating, rather than take you for granted. Um, shows you affection in a way that really works. Um, and then finally, allows you to make your own choices rather than trying to control you. <clears throat> that's how you know that this is somebody with whom there's the possibility that it can really work. It would also be somebody who's not afraid to give you feedback, tell you straight out when, you know, you're off kilter. Yeah. But yeah. when you're going too far, that's the issue of boundaries. Mm -hmm. I talk about that in the book. That um, <clears throat> we want someone who respects our boundaries, respects our limit, respects our limits, and we want to respect the boundaries of others. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that the personalities? Do you think that it's important that the personalities match up very closely, or is it more of just no, being aware of the personality of the other person? No, it's more like that you be complementary okay. to each other. Yeah. Yeah, because you mentioned the the differences between introverts and extroverts and what they'll want out of the five A's. And like, it, it's very different. And it seems like sometimes there can be a, a tension there is if if we're not, because it, it, it's hard to be aware of somebody whose personality in that regard is so almost like if it's almost opposite to yours. Um, so so is, it, is it more just of a case of just being better aware of that they probably don't want the same things that you want and want those fulfilled in the same ways that you do. Yeah, you would have to work all that out. Yeah. But can you touch on- Mostly it's about um, being able to bring up these kind of questions and talk yeah. about- Yeah. <clears throat> rather than just, you know, kind of not saying anything. Yeah. Which you, you talk about well with, the sections about honesty and being willing to disclose your your faults and downsides that you have. It seems like that's something that it's very easy to try to stay away from doing just out of fear of like, if I disclose these things, it, it makes me seem vulnerable. They might not like that. They might want to leave. Could you touch on the importance of the willingness to be honest and clear about, about those downsides and having those kinds of candid conversations instead of trying to tuck those things away. Yes. And that would include being able to show each other your feelings. Mm -hmm. You would not be um, 
inhibited about showing your anger. And in the book, I show the difference between being angry and abusive. You would not be afraid to let the other person know that you're scared at times. You would be able to show your joy. You would be able to show um, your sadness if you were grieving about something. It will feel safe to show all those feelings with somebody who is the right partner for you. Now, there, in this topic, too, it goes back to childhood. Was it safe in your home? So you would think about this. Don't answer this question, but you would ask yourself, was it safe to show anger or did they slap me down? Was it safe to show fear or did they make fun of me? Was it safe to show sadness? Or did they say, uh, stop that crying or I'll give you something to cry about? Was it safe to show joy? Or did they say, uh, don't be running around like that, you're gonna hurt yourself. If, if you got those kind of answers, then it would have felt kind of unsafe to show them the feelings. You could still have the feelings, but you would learn, I better not show them here. <clears throat> we want a relationship in which it's totally safe to show all of those feelings and also to show um, how inadequate we are. We're not trying to look good. Yeah. Or another way of saying it is, if you're still trying to look good, that would be that other ego, the inflated one, mm -hmm. not the healthy centered one. Yeah. I mean, the healthiest approach would be, I want everything that I do to reveal me as I am, rather than I want everything I do <clears throat> to um, give the best impression. Yeah. My favorite quote from Shakespeare, it's only four words. Now I will unmask yeah winter's tale yeah. yeah i mean could you get to that point in life when uh there are no masks needed right. or used yeah and a partner who uh, is okay with that with seeing you just as you are yeah and you're okay with seeing the partner just as they are, then um, that's what's going to work. Yeah. To to wrap up uh, on the topic of of disagreements, you you talk about healthy conflict compared to stressful trauma. Uh, this one seems especially difficult, where it's so easy to problem for problems to get amplified if emotions are too high and things can get out of control pretty quickly. How 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 do we keep a clear head and effectively solve those problems and how, how much of like what we just talked about with um willingness to be honest how, how much does that that play a role i guess how how do we go about um solving you know disagreements without them becoming fights or overblown conflicts 
Well, for that, I, uh, in the book, I recommend a threefold practice, ad uh, address, process, and resolve. So to address, that's where we start. We start with addressing. That means yeah. put it on the table, honestly, this is what's bothering me. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm concerned about. This is where I feel there's a conflict. And say it straight up rather than trying to hide it. And you want to be with somebody who also can do that. Yeah. Rather than just keep it hidden. Don't say anything. Mm. So that's number one, free speech. So you're going to say, this is what's bothering me. This is what I want to look at. And here's my part in it. Secondly, you're going to process the feelings that go with it. I'm having the feeling of anger, fear, or whatever it may be. And um, I want to express the feeling, not blame you for it, take responsibility for it as my own feeling. That's called processing, looking at the feelings. And also noticing if the feelings are somehow connected to what happened in childhood, which will make them triggers. So every time you do this, I'm triggered this way. So you also want to identify the triggers. And then third is come up with an agreement that's called resolving. Come up with an agreement that we're going to do things differently in the future. Yeah. How can you tell that a person is really committed to you? Two ways. One, they do keep the agreements. And secondly, um, when conflicts come up, <clears throat> they are willing to address, process, and resolve them. I think one of the things that's that makes books like this really solid is just how how clear and straightforward those guidelines are. And I, I really think that that these these principles and the tools and practices that you mentioned, like if if, if they're actually followed, I, I really think they would they would work very well. It's just it's so hard to like get ourselves to do the simple things and adhere to those simple perspectives. So okay, well, well, glad they can be of help. But ultimately, it's always going to be up to you. Yeah. I mean, if they work for you, use them. If they don't work for you, uh, you know, find a different path. Yeah. Well, thanks a See, lot. I'm totally you. allowing you. Right. Make your own choices. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. Not making yourself rigidly adhere to something that. That doesn't seem like it's working to you for you. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I guess by the way, I'd like to mention my website. Yeah. yeah. Which is DaveRico.com, D-A-V-E-R-I-C-H-O. Okay. And on the website, um, you will see the list of books and talks I gave Great. also. Okay. And there's also a section called um free articles. And uh, there I have my affirmations for letting go of fear and many other things. So uh, you may want to visit there and yeah. you know, see what works for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put that link in the description. Um, cool. Okay. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for um, being willing to come on. I, I appreciate um, sitting down and, and talking to you about this book. So thanks well, a lot. I really I've enjoyed glad I could help. And you know, I think you're a very good interviewer. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you.